Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 309 with Carlos Siribon and Anne Donovan, two PwC employees who each bring their own perspective on burnout. Carlos shares his own story and what he did about it. And Anne shares the perspective of the whole broader firm with PwC and how they rolled out a flexibility initiative with smashing results. So you'll learn one, key signs that burnout is looming near. Two, how to talk to your boss about your burnout. And three, how PwC rolled out their flexibility initiative to see their retention rates soar. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we've referenced, it's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F309. Now, here are the stories of these two guests. We got Carlos Siribon, who transforms businesses. He understands companies' missions and develops strategies to achieve then frameworks to execute their vision successfully. He's a strategic creative thinker, not afraid to challenge the status quo to achieve more effective and efficient results. And Ann Donovan is the U.S. People Innovation Leader at PwC. She's responsible for strategy and innovation around culture change. She has a strong background in operational effectiveness and in engaging and supporting the firm and its people in leading positive change, including a variety of initiatives related to the work environment, workforce demographics, and business model change. So thanks to Carlo and Ann for sharing some time with us, and thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. Here are Carlo and Ann. Carlo and Ann, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thanks for having us. Happy to be here. Oh, well, I think we're going to have a lot of fun with this one. A little different, but different good. So first, Carlo, I want to hear, where are we with the Hamilton audition process? What's the tale here? (laughs) So uh, do you want the whole background of it? I'd like to hear, I know you're into music. And so how did you say, you know what, this is a thing I'm going to go for. Yeah, so um, I've always been into performance, um, particularly in, in stage musicals and singing. Um, and I used to do it all throughout my schooling, right, um, from elementary school all the way through college. And then when I started work, it all just stopped, right? Work was my number one uh, number one goal and, and wanting to do well um, was what I wanted to do. And I found myself, you know, just wanting to naturally wanting to go back into performing and Hamilton, this was, I think, like two and a half, three years ago, um, Hamilton was just becoming big in New York and um, they were having open casting calls. And unfortunately, I travel for work Monday through Thursday, Monday through Friday every week. Um, so I couldn't go to the open calls. Um, and my fiance, my now fiance, uh, luckily saw some fine print at the bottom that said, if you can't make it, please send in a video audition. OK, and I was very I was very hesitant to I. I didn't want to, uh, but she pushed me to do it. And um, my video was sitting out there for a couple months. And after after about three, four months, I got a call um, that they wanted me to attend some callback auditions. And about 12 auditions later, I was at the final callback for Hamilton. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, they got to do something to justify that high ticket price. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. The excellence that goes into it. Oh, 12. Wow. Okay. And what happened after the 12? After the 12, um, unfortunately, my, my journey ended there. Um, I'm still in contact with, with some of the casting agents there. Um, but for the past year, I've really been focusing on my career um, and 
um, getting a promotion. Uh, that was that was my goal this year, which uh, fortunately I've, I've gotten. And now that I've achieved that, um, I want to go. I'm going to be going back into auditioning for shows, not just Hamilton, but you know, off Broadway and Broadway shows. Luckily, I'm based in New York, so makes it a little easier. That's cool. Well, so talking about career, could you orient us a little bit to PwC and your role within it? Yep. So PwC, uh, big four public accounting firm, right? Um, we structure ourselves within three lines of service. Um, assurance, which offers your your basic accounting services. You have tax um, and you have advisory, which covers consulting. I work in our advisory line of service and I'm a, uh, I'm, an advi- I'm an advisory consultant and I focus on large scale business transformation. Cool. All right. So, well, I worked in strategy consulting at Bain. So you say you travel a lot, you're on the client site and you're meeting with executives and such and plenty of slides, I imagine. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know it well. <laughs> okay. So I see the picture there. And so then I want to hear the story of you notice you were starting to feel kind of burnt out. Can you share with us what was going on and what were sort of the indicators that, uh-oh, something needs to change here? Yeah. Um, so this was about three years ago, um, you know, just the general traveling every week, it started to take a toll on me, right? Waking up on Monday mornings to go catch a plane wasn't as enticing anymore. I was having trouble focusing at work. And then even outside of work in, in my personal life, um, I found myself, you know, not as willing to go try new things, willing to mm. um, go out with friends and family. And I realized something was wrong. Um, and I didn't know what it was, right? Um, I think most people, when you hit that point, you sort of think, oh, you know, what are the stressful things in my life? Um, and for me, that was work. And I realized, you know, here, here's my burnout. And something I don't think a lot of people realize is, yeah, there may be things stressing you out, but sometimes adding things to your, to your life can help alleviate that burnout. Yeah. Right. For some, for a lot of people, and I think this is said very often is, oh, go wake up in the morning and go exercise. That can really help you gain more energy and more happiness throughout the day. Um, and I tried that for a little bit, wasn't working. And I realized what makes me happy, right? What is it? And it was music. So I turned back to music and, uh, it started with joining an acapella group and, you know, just practicing and, and playing music in my house, finding time to play music at my apartment and at some, some, uh, pubs around New York city. Um, and you know, slowly that just added up to the Hamilton audition and getting involved in more and bigger things. Um, but I found myself, you know, having added that to my life, it was giving me more energy within work and it was helping me focus and it was just keeping me happy and keeping me satisfied, keeping my whole self satisfied. That is an awesome insight because when you're in that mode, that zone of burnout, overwhelm, there's too much. It's sort of like the thought of taking on an additional thing is like, are you crazy? I can't either. I'm just trying to oh, yeah. keep it together right now. I can't imagine adding something. And you're saying, no, no, no. Adding something, in fact, is an improvement as opposed to more overwhelm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think it's because when you add something that you're passionate about, um, you'll naturally find time to make it happen, right? And that means... Um, saying no to things, right? And, and managing your time a little more effectively just by the nature of wanting to do something you're passionate about. That's cool. And I want to hear about the part in which you shared this with some folks at PwC. Like, I imagine that could be a little nerve wracking in terms of saying, hey, I'm feeling burnt out. You're just like, oh, are they going to think I'm weak or you're not up to the high standards of performance or not an achiever, high potential? Like, like what was that going on inside your head and how did you have that conversation? 
Yeah, I, I think that's a very natural thought to have. And it, you described it perfectly. Um, just going, you know, my, the way PwC is structured, it's a partnership structure. And, you know, the partner is the be all end all to your group and feels like your career sometimes. And um, I was saying to myself, you know, I, I need to make this, I need to have protected time for myself to be able to do this, to be able to pursue this. Uh, because traveling every week and working, you know, 40 to 60, however many hours a week, um, it becomes, it becomes a lot. And, and, um, my, my partner, you know, very high performing, very, uh, focused on results. Right. Um, and my career up until that point, I had also been focused on that. I had been very aligned with, you know, the firm first and, and work first and wanting to be a high performer. Um, so I thought that my idea of making time for myself wouldn't gel with, what I thought was the firm's idea of what uh, what an employee should be. So I had spent time talking to a coach um, during one of our um, leadership conferences, talking to a coach about how I structure this and, and how I can present this. And, um, you know, a week afterwards, after some intense structuring sessions and messaging sessions, <laughs> I, uh, I went up to my partner um, and talked to him about it expecting, you know, expecting the worst. And it ended up being extremely easy. He was extremely supportive of um, what it is I wanted to do and, and the passion I had. And I think um, what helped that conversation was the fact that he knew I was devoted um, and dedicated to work and, and still performing at a high level. And he also knew how passionate I was about music and about singing and about performing. So he saw that as a way for me to, you know, sort of flex my creative muscle and flex my professional muscle. And you know, I think the coaching that he received and the coaching that I received, it's just a, it, there's this culture of, you know what, everybody's a person. Our, our number one uh, piece of capital or our number one investment at the firm is people, right? And if you don't keep your people happy, if you don't keep your people trained, if you don't keep your people whole, then, you know, what good, what good is having them at a firm like this at PwC? Mm, certainly. No, I'm intrigued. So this coach that was provided by PwC? Yes, my coach was provided by PwC. So there is a there when you make senior associates, so this is about three, four years into your career, um, you're sent to a leadership conference to sort of develop um it's called Discover and it's to develop yourself, to discover uh within you what drives you, what motivates you, why are you here and and what best parts about you can you bring back to your professional life and to your personal life to improve everything? Um, and in that session, it's about a week long. They assign um, they assign everyone a career coach um, to help talk to you about those topics. And your career coaches, most of them, I believe, are non PWCers, if not all of them are non PWCers. Um, and you can you can keep me honest on that one. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, and. Um, they, they have a very objective point of view and in, in how you can develop yourself, which I think is refreshing that the firm would do that. Absolutely. Well, you know, I've done some coaching and I would love to be participating in that. That sounds really <laughs> cool. And so were there some follow-ups then or it all happened within the context of that one event? So that one event is where that idea blossomed. Um, towards the end of that week, um, I had a formal discussion with my coach and um, probably four weeks afterwards, there were follow-up sessions where we just spoke to each other over the phone, over Facebook, over, over text, um, you know, to help me build up the courage to actually have that conversation. 
That's good. Now you said you worked a lot on the structuring and messaging. And so were there any choice words, phrases, sentences that you thought, oh yeah, that's perfect. I've got to make sure to say that. And you thought that they landed outstandingly when you had that conversation with the partner. Yeah, actually in, in taught, in forming my, my thoughts and my message, um, initially I had completely neglected to address the fact that you know, I still wanted to be at the firm and I still wanted to be a high performer. Um, so initially it was all about, I need to uh, go into music and I need to spend my time making music. Um, and he helped me form it in such a way that, you know, I do want to make music, but it doesn't mean I want to leave this behind. It doesn't mean that I, that you should expect less from me. In fact, you should expect the same from me. And this, this will help me focus and help me deliver for you and for the firm. Oh, that is a nice turn of a phrase. You should not expect less from me. And in a way that's kind of inspiring on multiple levels in terms of one, you're making a commitment. And so you want to rise up and live up to it. And two, it's like, oh, good. You know, Carlo's great, but you know, hey, I guess not everyone can be the hardcore rock star all-star. So I guess I'll have to put him in the sort of maintenance mode, you know, yeah, as opposed to gunning for it mode. So that's really cool. And then, so you had the conversation, it went super well. And any kind of pro tips when it comes to if others are feeling the burnout kind of beginning to settle in, how should they go about doing some reflection or engaging in that conversation? I think everyone should take some time to slow down first, right? Um, when, when people are approaching burnout mode, it's often when they're very stressed. And when you're stressed, you get into this panic mode and you need things to happen fast and you want things to happen fast. So when that happens, you, you have a tendency to take missteps, right? Or, or to, to make decisions rashly. And I think when that happens, it's important to take some time to breathe mm -hmm. and to, like you said, reflect on everything about your life, not just work, but you know, home and, and your friends and your community and your spirituality, reflect on all of that and, and understand where your life stands in all of those places. And once you have that view, then try to build a plan about how you, how you try to improve it. Right. So it's all just take that breath. That is good. Yes. And when it comes to the fear, I guess, you know, Bosses come in all shapes and sizes and varying levels of receptiveness to such a conversation. So any thoughts in terms of, that was a great sentence in terms of don't expect less from me, but any other thoughts to address the fear? Like, I can't tell my boss that. That's a tough question because you're right. Every boss is different. Um, I think if, if you, if you build an open, honest relation, if you're, if you're lucky enough to be able to build an open, honest relationship with your boss, um, that conversation will always be easier in, in real life than it is in your head. Um, if, you know, if you have a challenging boss or if you have a challenging work environment, um, regardless, I think it's important to be open and honest with yourself first, right? And to assess how your, your view of what will make you happy in the future fits in with your career. Mm -hmm. And Pete, can I add something? Oh, yeah. I, I just can't help myself. What I always advise um, our staff is if, if they don't step up to ask for what they want, the end result is they're going to quit the firm. Yeah. So they'll go along and keep doing what they're being asked to do and do it really, really well. 
and and get into burnout mode. And then the end result is they quit the firm. And then the firm ends up being the loser. And I actually believe in most cases, the staff ends up being the loser too, because they end up quitting the firm at the wrong time. Because I, I do believe that most people end up quitting the firm. We don't have a partnership that has thousands and thousands and thousands of partners, right? So ultimately, we know people will end up leaving the firm. But you want to leave the firm, and I tell staff this, including my family who are staff, you want to leave the firm at the right time when it's the right time and you have the right job. So if you leave the firm at the wrong time, you're the loser. So if you don't ask for what you want and get the work environment that you need, then you're going to end up leaving at the wrong time. So there is absolutely no harm in asking for what you want. No harm at all. Mm -hmm. You might get a no, but probably you're not going to. And so, but if you don't ask, the answer is always going to be no. Right. So, so I just, I say this every single time I sit in front of anyone who will listen to me. (laughs) You must ask the question. You must ask for what you want. And because probably what you're asking for is absolutely not unreasonable. And so you've got to ask for it and you've got to create the work environment that you need to make your life happy. And it will more than likely be accommodated. Yeah, that's that's extremely true. What you said, the worst that happens is they say no. And what happens there is now your your want and your passion is out there and, and people are thinking about it and people have talked about it rather than you're in the status quo and nothing changes. And certainly. And you have some more clarity for your own decision making. It's like, OK, well, I need this and I'm, I can't get it. So maybe I should put a little more effort towards looking elsewhere now. That's exactly right. But at least, you know, as opposed to making up in your head what the answer is going to be. <laughs> That's great. Well, Carlo, can you give us the lay of the land now in terms of your burnout-ness, in terms of, you know, the Hamilton audition has come and gone, but there'll be new opportunities. And how's your day-to-day in terms of, you know, energy and stress and motivation? Oh, it's, um, I've become much better at identifying when I'm getting close to burnout. Um, I'm happy to say in the past, uh, two years, I haven't approached burnout at, at, at all. Um, and also just having put out, um, you know, wanting to perform out there. Um, I've been more involved in internal PwC initiatives for performance. For example, you know, this, uh, this summer, PwC um, has what they call a promotion day where everybody who's getting promoted gets promoted at the same time. And in New York, they throw a large event um, and I'm I'm leading a band, a, a band of about twelve of us, and we're playing a forty-five minute set for for all our colleagues in New York. Oh, that's fun! That's really cool. And can you unpack a little bit of what are some of the early warning signs, like before full burnout is upon you? What are the little indicators, like uh oh, getting kind of closer? What is that for you internally? For me, it's if I find myself waking up later and later. Okay, oh, that's very specific. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Specific. Yeah. Cool. Any other indicators? Um, it's it's waking up later. It's um I find myself being unable to focus at work, right? Um just little things, right? If if I have a quick usually I'm pretty good about if I have a five minute task, that's something that I can complete right away. I take that time out of my day. Um if I'm if I find myself those tasks are taking, you know, longer I push them off further and further, then I find myself, you know, I need to reassess what's happening in my life and refocus. Oh, that's good. 
Cool. Well, so awesome success story. So glad to hear it that you came to the brink and came back and you're wiser for having done so and have a more fun work and life situation going on there. So, Anne, could you maybe broaden the scope of the conversation a little bit, sort of beyond Carlo's story, sort of you've got a full-blown flexibility initiative. What's the story with that at PwC? Yeah, we are um, in year six of that initiative. I will tell you that seven years ago, we could not spell the word flexibility at PwC. (laughs) And we did some work, um, did lots of focus groups, kind of traveled around, actually did a lot of work studying our millennial population and um, did some actually very pretty scientific work, taking a look at what our millennials wanted versus our Gen Xers and got some pretty good data around the kind of top three things our millennials wanted and got some pretty solid information that, you know, although, you know, they certainly wanted to be paid well and, you know, wanted stuff that the rest of us wanted, flexibility was in the top uh, three things that millennials wanted out of the workplace. And so what are the other two things and how did that compare to the other generations? Yep. So top three things millennials wanted out of the workplace based on our study, flexibility, um, appreciation and support from their supervisors uh, and teamwork. They wanted to work on teams that they felt uh, worked well together. And so it was really about the work environment for millennials. Um, For Gen X, it was about um, uh, having control over their work, um, working on good stuff, so really good kind of developmental stuff, and pay. And so for Gen X, it was a it was about the real kind of traditional stuff that we had set up work, the work environment around, the traditional work environment, which was like, you know, rawr, we're going to pay you well, and you've got a lot of autonomy, and we're going to give you good stuff. And then millennials come into the workforce, and they're like, well, we want it to feel good, and we want you to appreciate us, and we want flexibility. And those two things had, there was a big gap between those two things. Understood. And so... We had this data and said, whoa, we've we got to change the work environment because we had autonomy. We had good pay. We, and we still have good pay. But we, I mean, we had this setup that was appealing to the prior generation. And we had this entire set of workers who said, but we want it to feel good. And so we changed the entire, we shifted the entire environment. All right. So then what are some of the prongs or components of the flexibility initiative? Well, we started our work. We started at the top, um, got our partners all understanding the business case for it, all understanding that if we wanted to keep this entire new generation of worker, we had to really completely turn the the environment on its head. Um, It all was based on trust. First set of rules was you didn't have to earn flexibility. Uh, You walked in the door. Uh, earning flexibility. Um, everyone is trusted with the work that they're set out to do. Um, you don't have to have FaceTime to earn your stripes. Um, we've got all the technology in the world. You can do it, you know, sort of whenever, wherever, however. Um, and I say however, we have, we have all our standards, et cetera. But what I mean is you don't have to sit next to the guy to, mm-hmm. to get your work done. Um now, that doesn't mean that every single day we've got people working all over in wherever they want. But it means that in general, if you've got to go leave tomorrow at three o'clock and our people work hard, but if you got to go leave at three o'clock and you're going to come back online at seven o'clock, 
to, to make your life work. And by the way, making your life work doesn't mean you have to have a doctor's appointment. It means I'm going to go play with softball. Yeah. And we were very careful about that, Pete, because it doesn't have to be an emergency. It doesn't also have to be childcare. It doesn't have to be stuff that's, um, that's another job. You know, that's another thing to do. It can be because I want to do this thing that's fun. I want to go audition. And we were very careful to make sure that people understood that. It's because you want to have life. And we were very explicit about that. And we just started talking about it. And we started making the the leaders and the partners and the managers understand that that was how it was going to be from here on out. And it, it really did take us three, four, five years to get the culture um, sort of inculcated with these messages. Um, but we've done it. And I will tell you, flexibility is on every single person's lips in the firm. And you do not have to ask for it. You do not have to apply for it. You don't have to, we don't, you don't have to plan for it. It's just, it's just there. Um, I work from home. I don't, I, I don't hide it. I don't, my dog barks in the background. I don't care. It's where I am. We, I get on video. I've got bed hair. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it's just, it's just the way it is. And I'm so, so proud of it. It's just fantastic because it's who we are. We trust each other and we don't have to slap on a uniform to, to get the job done. That's really cool. And I'm curious to hear with during that kind of transition time, you know, where there is some key kind of rocky moments or obstacles or leaders who weren't on board or abusers of flexibility. How did that emerge? Actually, we'd had less abusers than we had leaders who weren't on board. Uh, we definitely had, um, you know, guys and gals who who took a long time to, to come around. But that's just, you know, that's the way life is. Change is hard. And it just took, it, it really took our, our leaders at the top. Our, our uh, uh, senior partner was all about it. And he pushed us hard to, you know, he made every day a flex day. We actually changed our time reporting system that you didn't have to report time every day. And he, he pushed us hard to, to really, um, change processes and procedures and, and to, to just push the firm, uh, to make things happen. And, and eventually, you know, and I suppose there's some pockets out there where we still got holdouts, but they are, they're pretty few and far between. Um, and I, and I will tell you, we have not had abusers and I, I now speak to in front of groups, uh, frequently. And I, I speak to clients who are interested in what we've done and, and, um, we get asked about what policies we put in place and, you know, what are the written rules? And I'll tell you, we were lucky. We did not put policies in place. We did not put written rules in place. You don't, like I said, you don't have to apply for anything. It's all based on trust. Now we are lucky, Pete. We don't, uh, these are all salaried employees. So we don't have a lot of um, uh, wage and hour laws and things like that. And we don't have union workers because we're a, you know, we're a salaried uh, uh, um, group of people. So we didn't have a lot of those kinds of things to worry about in our work environment. Um, but we really, um, we didn't have, we didn't deal with a lot of rules. We, we, we left people up to their own devices and we let groups of people out there on client engagements, um, make their own rules and make it work for themselves and just hit their own deadlines. And it, it magically worked very, very well. And Carlo, I will ask you to hold me accountable if that was not true on, on the ground in the field. No, I think, I think definitely the adoption took a while. You were, you were absolutely spot on. 
Um, but yeah, at this point, I, you're right. It is on everybody's lips. It's on everybody's mind and it holds true. And I want to hear a little bit more about, so previously there was a policy, a rule to report time every day. What's the new situation with regard to time reporting? The new situation is you report your time in a week. So as long as, if you're a 40-hour worker, uh, and most of us obviously report way more than 40 hours, (laughs) um, you just have to cover your 40 hours sometime over the week. So if you happen to cover those 40 hours in a two-day time frame, um, the other three days don't have to show the 40 hours. So in other words... You you can flex your time however it flexes for you. And it used to be that, you know, you had to show how you covered those hours in five days time so that you had to account for the where you were. And now it, it, it just doesn't matter. It's just flexibility. Oh, that's great. And you said many are, you know, reporting more than 40 hours. Yeah. I know. Well, hey, accounting, right? You know, folks can get fixated on numbers. (laughs) Yes. And so is there a sense, and maybe either of you can tackle this one in terms of a number of hours that is good or, you know, too few versus too many, or is just kind of like, hey, it's different every week and we're all good with that. It is different every week. And, you know, in general, I would say most of our employees work more than 40 hours a week. It's just how we run. Um, But, you know, if you've got weeks that aren't as busy, certainly we want you to work 40 hours. And and that's, you know, we we want people to take advantage of times that aren't as busy. And knowing that, you know, if you're working on a deal and you're in advisory or if it's busy season and you're in audit or tax or insurance or tax, you know, you're certainly going to work more than that. So, um it's, it's kind of an up and down business. Oh, sure. And so for the non-intense weeks, are you still shooting for a 40-hour minimum or it's kind of like, hey, last week was 70, so this week 20 is cool? No, I think we, in general, shoot for the 40. Okay, gotcha. I'm with you there. And now I'm curious to hear any other kind of pro tips or best practices if, you know, you say your clients are starting to ask, hey, how'd you pull this off in terms of having success with this kind of a shift or intervention? Well, you know, I I just think that I have not met a group of workers and I, I've not met a client group that was not interested in this topic. So I think, I and I, I say this to these groups, if you can figure out a way to bring this to your organization, it's really important. And it is free to offer your group, your, your employees. So again, if you can bring this into your workplace, um, and you've got the kind of, of, uh, workforce that, that makes it easy, again, not dealing with hourly employees or employees that clock in, um, uh, I recommend it because it is free to offer and it means a lot. So having, giving your employees the freedom to have some kind of flexibility in their workday, um, it, it really, it hits home. It's a home run. Um, and again, it's, it doesn't cost money to do it. Um, you know, I will tell you, we, we, we took flexibility to the next level when we, um, introduced flexibility of, of dress. So we have what we call dress for your day now at PwC, and that includes jeans. So we just got rid of that whole concept of, um, you know, sort of the uniform and in all of our PwC offices, um, we're, we're a jeans firm now. 
And so we've always been, uh, you got to dress like your client. And so when we're out at a, a, you know, we wear suits clients and we have to wear suits. But when we're in our offices, um, we wear jeans too. So that was a big home run with our, with our staff as well. Because again, it's whenever you, whatever kind of breath of fresh air you can bring to your staff, it's why not do it again, a freebie and we could bring it and make our staff happy. And so we did it. And, and we've kind of brought that in under the flexibility umbrella as well. So just trying to, you know, life is kind of hard enough. Work is kind of hard enough. Anything you could bring in that just breathes some air into the place, that's what we're trying to do. Absolutely. And can you share a little bit from all of these efforts? Are you seeing what's the lift looking like in terms of, you know, before, after attrition or retention rates? Yeah. So we've got really, we've had some really good impact on our retention. And that that's one of our, uh, both our retention and our engagement scores uh, on our annual survey. So for us, retention is a big deal. Um, turnover is very costly in a firm like ours. And um, we've had a big, big hit on our retention rate. So we're, we're seeing actual very uh, nice dollars flow straight to our bottom line, which makes me very happy. <laughs> oh, excellent. Well, could you give us a rough sense of what kind of a proportion lift we're talking about here? Yeah, well, yes. Um, I, the the sort of conventional wisdom is that when someone walks out the door, it costs the firm about $100,000. So every head that stays for uh, stays around is a, is a savings to us. And that's all, that includes all kinds of things, training costs and, you know, replacement costs. And, um, so when you can keep someone around it, you know, saves a lot of money and we have 50,000 people. So when you think about even saving 1% of your people, that's 50,000 people, that's a lot of money. Oh, certainly. And roughly what extra percentage of your people are you saving as a result of all this? Well, my boss probably wouldn't want me quoting uh, retention rates, but I will tell you that we've seen some really good savings on retention rates. So I, be- I better leave it at that. <laughs> okay, then. Well, any final thoughts before we shift gears to hear about some of your favorite things? No, I, again, I, I just, I think we're afraid. We're afraid of change. We as leaders um, think that these kinds of changes are going to wreak havoc because we're going to see abuse in the system. And I guess my advice to leaders is that I think you'll see less abuse than you think you're going to see. Um, so I would, I would take the leap on something like flexibility um, because I think you'll see much more benefit than you'll see abuse. So I guess that's my, my big piece of advice. Oh, cool. Thank you. Well, now, Anne or Carla, whoever's feeling it in the moment, let's hear about some of your favorite things. Is there a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? Carla, I'll let you go first. <laughs> the quote I always say is, uh, it's a Rolling Stones quote, you can't always get what you want, but if you try sometimes, you just might find you get what you need. Awesome. Oh, I love that, Carlo. It's so much hipper <laughs> than anything I was going to come up with. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I just, um, mine's not a quote. I just try every single day um, to remember what I'm grateful for because I think we can get caught up in how hard life is 
And I really, before my feet hit the ground in the morning, I don't let myself get out of bed before I remember the things that I, for which I am very, very grateful. And however small those things might be, that might be my wonderful soft pillow, but um, I have a lot to be grateful for. And I just really, really try to live in that gratitude. Awesome. And how about a favorite study or experiment or a bit of research? Oh my gosh, mine is the millennial study. And I'm happy that is a public report and I'm happy, Pete, to, to make that available if anyone wants to take a look at it. Oh, yes, please. We'd love to link to that. And how about a favorite book? Mine is um, Maya Angelou, um, Why the Caged Bird Sings. Mine is uh, How to Be Black by Bera Tunde Thurston. Oh, I met him at a book signing and I have a signed copy of How to Be Black oh, on my really? shelf. I did, yes. Oh, you lucky duck. He's good friends with my buddy Maui, who is episode number one, Small World. And uh, yeah, he's a funny guy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he deliberately said the opposite of what I asked him to say in the inscription. I said something like, can you say that I'm like tough or, you know, a baller? I don't remember what I asked for, but he said, you are so not a baller. <laughs> like, I love it. I guess I got to get rid of this book now. Very good. <laughs> I love it. And how about a favorite tool, something that helps you be awesome at your job? My phone. I could, I can't live without it. <laughs> My phone, which I look at every day for everything. <laughs> <laughs> Mine is my uh, my new ergonomic mouse. Oh, tell us oh. all about it. What is it? Where yeah. can I buy it? I got it off of Amazon uh, without plugging too hard. It's an anchor mouse and it, it turns your wrist so it's like you're shaking a hand. Oh, right. Yes. Oh, and it's cool. Very cool. My arms feel so much better now. Oh, that's a good move. Yeah, let's link that too. And tell us, is there a particular nugget that you find yourself saying often that really connects and resonates with people? I have three <laughs> staff and they are all women. They all happen to be women. And I have two grown kids. I have 21-year-old twins. And every time my kids irritate me, I always type to these gals in um, text, hashtag don't have kids. Oh. And these three women all have young babies at home. So that's our that's our kind of... Our team uh, team motto, hashtag don't have kids. So we laugh. We always laugh at each other. Hashtag don't have kids. So that's our motto, team motto to all of us who have a bunch of kids. Well, it's too late. I have a five-month-old answer. Oh, my gosh. Pete, I'm going to put you on our Twitter, uh, on our tweet. Oh, I'm honored. Thank you. Hashtag don't have kids. There you go. I have, uh, I have one from my grandfather. He always says Ayoslang, which is Tagalog. It's the Filipino language. And it just means it's going to be okay. Ah, lovely. Oh, cool. Thank you. Lovely. And Carlo Ann, if folks want to get in touch or learn more, where would you point them? And I leave that to you. <laughs> well, <laughs> follow me on Twitter because I'm always tweeting about stuff that's, that we are, we're finding interesting. Um, I'm going to send the study, Pete. So I'd like you to take a look at that. And, um, you know, I, I just think keep plugging away on the flexibility stuff. And I guess that's it. I, I think you got to keep trying and ask for what you want, people. Ask for what you want in your workplace because you have to be happy at work. Carlo, any final thoughts in terms of a challenge or call to action? I challenge everyone to be more mindful of everything outside of work and outside of the things that stress you. You're a whole person. Treat yourself like a whole person. Beautiful. Well, Carlo, Ann, this has been a whole lot of fun. Kudos for the good work that's producing good results for people and profits. So keep it up. Yay. Thank, Thank you, you. Pete, for the opportunity. Had a great time.
What I love most about this conversation is just the boldness and the pragmatism there associated with, hey, if you're burnt out, you're not doing great work, you might leave at the wrong time. It's best to ask for what you need. If you don't, you may well end up at the wrong time. And it's best for organizations to accommodate the needs of workers in this way. You know, it's funny, I've heard a couple stories from employees recently in which they had a a life situation unfold. Maybe they needed to move or had a child or something. And they wanted to work remotely from time to time. And their manager was cool with it. And their manager's manager was cool with it. But then a higher up leader or executive was not so cool with it and it put the kibosh on it. So I'm hopeful that with the work and data and surveys and results that Anne has discovered and implemented and other organizations are seeing that hopefully folks will be able to have work experiences that suit them better and they do better work and people are enriched more. And it's win, win, win for everybody, the individual, the team, the organization, the customers, the clients, everybody wins when it's done well. And it maybe just takes a little bit of courage to try something new or different in the organization. So if you're trying to make that case, check out the report linked in the show notes. That's awesome at your job.com slash ep309. And maybe that will be a little ammo in your belt for making the argument and a persuasive case to get some of the flexibility that you need. And if you haven't already, I do hope you'll push the subscribe button If you do so, you'll hear from our next guest. It is Tony Schwartz. He wrote one of my favoritist books long ago called The Power of Full Engagement. And he is sharing how to manage your energy at work to produce outstanding results. Peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. (laughs) Auto Trader.